podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 20th of May, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. It's a virtual privacy network. allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, use Now TV outside the UK. Also keeps your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN. To get 20% off at checkout, we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, six games last night in the Premier League, so we rattle through them really quickly, because obviously today is Thursday, so there's more important things to talk about than football matches. Um, Last night, Everton won. Wolves nil. Everton got quite fortunate in this game. Wolves had some good chances. Jordan Pickford made a couple of decent saves. But once Everton got into the game, and once Richarlison put them 1-0 up, they were the better team. They did control the game. Really good header from Richarlison to win the game. Some more comedy defending at the back from Wolves would allow Everton a couple of chances, and Calvert-Lewin in particular uh, was guilty of wasting one or two chances. Everton move up to eighth in the table with that win. Now level on points with Tottenham. Three points behind West Ham, who are sixth. Everton, no. If they win their last game or get a draw and Tottenham lose to Leicester, Everton will find themselves in the Europa Conference League next season, which I think is about where they want. Well, they want to be in the Champions League, but I think at this point they take the Conference League. I think they take European football. I think that will help them as they move forward and try and recruit players. They play Manchester City, obviously, on the final day of the season. For Wolves, I mean, it is what it is. Their season's been a disaster. 16 defeats on the year. They are going to finish in 12th position. They have Manchester United at home on the final day. It's a game they'll they'll have a chance in. United are in bad form and will probably rest everybody because they have the Europa League final coming up. But all things considered, Wolves need a bit of a reset in the summer. They certainly need to invest in the in the playing squad, uh, Newcastle won Sheffield United nil. Joe Willock with yet another goal just before half time to give Newcastle the win. A fairly dour game, if we're all being honest and fair, but a deserved win for Newcastle. Newcastle are fifteenth. They do have the potential to finish thirteenth if they win their last game and Southampton and Palace failed to win theirs. I've seen from TalkSport this morning, uh, Alan Brazil and Jamie O'Hara, those noted boffins, stating that that's as good as Bruce can do. That's as good as Newcastle should expect. I I don't think they're familiar with Newcastle uh, fan base or history. Uh, Newcastle should be doing better. Newcastle have the potential to do better. Unfortunately, they will probably lose Joe Willock this summer. I would be stunned if Arsenal don't want him back. 
any claims that Arsenal would not be improved by having Joe Willock back in the squad, at least, are nonsense. Same with Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Same with Matteo Guendesi. Same with Lucas Torreira. William Saliba, Mavroponos. All of these players would improve Arsenal. All of them. Arsenal's midfield is trash, other than Thomas Partey. Their centre-backs aren't particularly good. Their left-side centre-backs are good. Gabriel, you like. Pablo Mari's a solid backup. The right-side centre-backs are fairly poor. Newcastle's final game is away to Fulham. It's a game they they could win. They don't have any reason to win it, but you know if they want to just finish that little bit higher up the table, it's a game they could go into thinking that, that a win is possible. Fulham have been dreadful the last few weeks. No wins in five. Um, it's a great opportunity to Newcastle to go and get just some extra points. I mean, at the moment, they're 14 points clear of Fulham. You go back six weeks, and it looked like that game would on the final day would decide who stayed up and who went down. So credit to Newcastle. They have turned things around. They've gotten a bit of form at the right time. And that's all you can really ask for them, given the circumstances they went into those games in. Uh, Tottenham 1, Aston Villa 2. Steven Bergwijn with a brilliant goal to put Tottenham 1-0 up after eight minutes. And then it all went very, very strange. Uh, Sergio Regulon with maybe the best own goal you're going to see all season. A sliced volley from just inside his own box into the top corner past Hugo Lloris. Regulon doubled down on costing his team 20 minutes later. Uh, his pass was cut out by Bertrand Traore, bounced to Ollie Watkins, who finished off really, really well in credit to him. Um, Watkins could have had another. Eric Dyer with a good block after Dyer had created the mess. Tottenham just didn't look like they really wanted to win the game last night. A lot of shenanigans going on. Uh, fans charged ridiculous amounts to go to this game and then put way up in the gods for whatever reason. Social distancing, Tottenham been too lazy to take down. The banners that cover the lower ring, who knows? But it was all very strange. Tottenham's performance is very strange. Harry Kane wasted a great opportunity to equalise by refusing to pass the ball to Youngman Son, who was open and available, instead deciding to turn and then turn again and then fire a shot straight at the goalkeeper. Um, Emi Martinez did make a couple of really good saves in the game, but you always felt like Tottenham were struggling to find any sort of purpose, as they have done for much of the season. Tottenham obviously go away to Leicester on the final day of the season. They will need a win, probably to secure um, Conference League football, because Arsenal can overtake them, Everton can overtake them. It's likely that they won't be able to overtake West Ham, who've got a fairly easy game themselves coming up. But Tottenham do have something to play for. Kane will want that golden boot. I didn't see it, but people said Kane was crying when he was saying, like, waving to the fans after the game. I didn't see that. I saw him waving. I didn't see any tears. Um, but maybe that's the last home game that Harry Kane plays for Tottenham Hotspur. For Villa, their final game is Chelsea at home. That's a difficult game. Villa will finish in the bottom half this season, uh, but they will finish 11th. And that is a big improvement on 17th last season. 
they will go, I think, to try and beat Chelsea, although we'll see. John Terry, maybe some shenanigans uh, to try and help his former club get into the top four. But Villa have done themselves proud this season. They they have done themselves proud. 11th place, they missed Grealish for three months. He hadn't played well before that, but you were expecting him to bounce back and rediscover the form he'd showed through the first 15, 16 games of the season. Uh, started last night, didn't have much of an impact on the game, but he's working his way back to fitness. So hopefully we see a bit more from him against Chelsea. Crystal Palace won Arsenal 3. Nicolas Pepe put Arsenal 1-0 up on 35. Really well-worked goal. A 1-2 between Tierney and Saka. Tierney with the cross and Pepe with an excellent finish to put Arsenal 1-0 up. Christian Benteke made it 1-1. Looked suspiciously offside, but it was given anyway. Um, And that seemed like it would be the game. Arsenal were not really... At full strength, they weren't really playing all that well. But Palace just decided to stop playing on 90. Um, Martinelli made it 2-1. Bit of a fluke. Ball looped into the box. He jumped, it kind of hit him, it landed, he tapped it home. It was checked for handball, it wasn't a handball. Arsenal get the goal. And Palace at that point might as well have walked off the pitch. Nicolas Pepe slaloms through the defence on 95. Taps it home. Uh, Two goals for him. He has had a better season than he's been given credit for. It is worth mentioning. He has had a better season than he's been given credit for. Arsenal have been terrible for most of the season, but he's got 14 goals this year. So he will never be a £72 million footballer. Arsenal massively overpaid for him to get the structure of the deal that they wanted to be able to bring him in when they didn't have a whole bunch of money to spend up front. They overpaid massively, but 14 goals is a really good return. Eight in the Premier League in 28 games, that's good. For a wide player, that's good. Um, He's looked better on the left and the right, and he played on the right in this game, but he has looked better on the left in some games this season, and he definitely plays better with Smith, Rowe, and Saka. He looks really comfortable when he's in the three with them, rather than with Aubameyang. He's asked to do a little bit less. He's asked to be more of a finisher than a creator because Saka takes on the creative side. When he plays with Aubameyang in the three, he's often asked to be the one who does the creative stuff while Aubameyang's the finisher. It doesn't really suit his skill set, but he has had a better season than people think. He's had a better, better, people, better season than he's been given credit for. So I don't think he's the disastrous signing that people have made him out to be. And I think there's more to come from him. He's only 25. He turns 26 in just over a week. So he's just entering his prime years. I think Pepe will turn out to be a good player for Arsenal. He's somebody that they can play in multiple positions. As they rebuild, I think he's going to be a big player for them. West Brom 1, West Ham 3. Again, a tight game. Mateus Pereira direct from a corner put West Brom 1 up. Thomas Suchek equalised on... 46 minutes just before the halftime break. Again, this looked offside. Now, there's been shenanigans before at the Hawthorns where they didn't have enough cameras to properly check for VAR offsides, and yet they still haven't installed more. And this, in my view, has caused 
um, West Ham again, or close West Brom again. Now, De- Declan Rice did miss a penalty that could have already equalised the game. He hit the post. Ogbonna on 82 with a powerful header, dreadful defending, nobody near him. And then Mikel Antonio on 88, West Brom all at sea at the back. Simple ball from Lingard and Antonio finishes. That wasn't the big issue at, or the big story at um, the Hawthorns last night. What was the big story was that Sam Allardyce has been released from his contract at the end of the season and he is going to go his own way. Based on the statements released, based on the interview that Sam did after the game, and we'll we'll come to that, I got the impression that West Brom were the ones that made this decision, that they were the ones that decided to move on from Sam. Now, it's been framed very much that Sam has made this decision. He said he was made a generous offer to stay, that it's been a very difficult decision to leave. Personally, I think West Brom have looked at this and thought, we're not going to pay him that type of money. He's on massive money. They don't want to pay that in the championship. I think they've made the decision. He came across as very bitter in his post-match interview. And in his post-match interview, he started off by ranting about uh, Mikel Antonio, who had given an interview where he said that, you know, it's Big Sam, so it's long ball, and it's lads in the channels and working hard and things like that, all of which was an accurate description of what happened. Sam came out and said, if you thought that was long ball today, someone is deluded. He referred to the height of Pereira and Hal Robson-Canu, Hal Robson Canu is a player you only play if you're playing long ball football. He's not a player you're going to play if you're being creative and involving him in the build-up. West Brom have the second highest long ball rate in the Premier League. So of all the passes they play in a game, 18% of them are long balls. An average of 62 per game. Last night, they played 60 long balls just under their 18%. Last night was long ball football. Sam plays long ball football. And he said that, I've never played the same way at different clubs. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. That is an outright lie. You didn't play that way at Bolton. Initially, you did. To get Bolton up into the Premier League, Sam played long ball dross. There's no argument about that. That is what happened. That is a factual statement. Now, at Bolton then, he started to bring in creative players, J.J. Akacha, Yuri Jorkaev, and the style of football changed. And Bolton actually did play very attractive stuff for probably his last three or four years there. Then he took the Newcastle job. And he went to Newcastle and he tried to implement the more creative attacking football. It didn't work and he got fired after a few months. He went to Blackburn. It was long ball football. He went to West Ham. It was long ball football. Bolton was long ball Crystal Palace was long ball, and Everton was long ball. And whether he likes it or not, West Bromwich Albion, under his watch, have played long ball football. Simple as that. There's a reason he's been playing big grocks up front, big grocks out wide. He hasn't given Carlin Grant, a player who could be involved in the ball being played on the floor, a look-in. Because he has played long ball football. So for him to criticise Mikel Antonio for an accurate description of yesterday's game 
and of Big Sam in general is just shameful. He said that they played long ball against Liverpool because he basically made out that Liverpool were soft. Uh, he said Liverpool didn't deserve to win despite dominating the game. He said West Ham didn't deserve to beat them last night. Well, Sam, I really have to disagree with you. West Ham had 21 shots, nine on target. You had 14, four on target. You may have had more of the ball, but that's because they gave you the ball. West Ham let West Brom have the ball because West Ham know that West Brom with the ball aren't a threat. West Brom are a threat when they don't have the ball, when they can use their energy, all that graft that they put in and try and harry and upset and annoy teams. That's when West Brom are a formidable opposition. When you, t- when you give them the ball, there's very little they're going to do. Uh, he made some strange statements about how they had the best transfer window. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, that just doesn't match with reality. He brought in Snodgrass. He's been a non-factor. Maitland-Niles has done well, but, I mean, he still left him out of the Liverpool game. Yakuza's been excellent. And, I mean, if Dianya was so good, why has he been sat on the bench the last few weeks while Hal robson Canu plays up front? It's a, it's a, you know, it's a bit strange. He criticised Sky, said they'd pigeonholed him as this firefighter guy who comes in short term, saves a club. Then, when asked why he wouldn't stay at West Brom, he said, "Well, that's the decision I've made. So it's their fault, but it's your decision." Is what he's basically saying. Um, he ended the interview by basically begging Sky for a job, which was a bit weird. Uh, I have no sympathy for Sam. I have sympathy for West Brom and West Brom fans. It's a club I do like, and it's a club I'd like to see in the Premier League regularly, but not with people like him in charge. He will not be missed in the Premier League, just as Roy Hodgson will not be missed in the Premier League. And both of them will resign their jobs on Sunday. And hopefully, hopefully we don't see either again in the Premier League. If those two and Steve Bruce would just pack up their tents and head back to the Jurassic era, we'd all be better off. We'd all be better off. None of us would be subjected to watching the dreck that they put forward on a weekly basis. To come out and claim that they don't play long ball football, when 18% of your passes are long balls, is just mind-numbing stuff. Absolutely mind-numbing stuff. Final game of the evening, Burnley nil, Liverpool 3. Liverpool really should have had this game put to bed after about 20 minutes. Mane missed a great chance. Salah missed two good chances. Firmino missed a good chance. Thiago missed a good chance. On the flip side, Burnley had one chance. Uh, Chris Wood, after a mistake by Reese Williams, got in behind and lashed a volley wide. This prompted Jamie Carragher to say that West Brom had been brilliant, that Liverpool had been poor, that West Brom should, or that sorry, that Burnley had been brilliant, Liverpool had been poor, and Burnley should be ahead. In great insight from Carragher, what he was watching, I have no idea. Uh, Liverpool's defence was a train wreck in the first half. Reese Williams and Nat Phillips absolutely all over the place. Neither of them could kick the ball properly giving the ball away. They weren't the only ones. Trent was sloppy. Mo was sloppy. Fabinho was sloppy. Liverpool were sloppy, but they were very good going forward. They created a bunch of chances, and they should have been 4 or 5 nil up. 
by the time Roberto Firmino put them 1-0 up on 43. Good work down the left. Andy Robertson with the cross. And Firmino with the finish from 10 yards. Will Norris making his first Premier League start for Burnley. Got a foot to it. Couldn't keep it out. Liverpool went ahead. Richly deserved. Carragher was watching a completely different game. Second half starts. Liverpool look a little bit slow for the first five minutes. Then seem to realise the game is going on. And on 52, Nat Phillips, dreadful in the first half, but had started the second half well, won a couple of headers, had a good block, made a good tackle, confidence high, gets a goal on 52. Mane with the cross, Phillips with the header, no chance for the goalkeeper. Liverpool 2-0 up, and again, fully deserved. On the balance of play, fully deserved. The game would basically peter out a little bit. Thiago, by far and away the best player on the pitch, just keeping things ticking over, keeping Liverpool in rhythm, keeping them in motion. They did have a couple of nervy moments. They did drop a little bit. You could see they were getting tired. Burnley pushed on a bit, piled on a bit of pressure, long balls into wood, crosses into the box, the traditional Burnley things. But Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain on 88, uh, having come on for Firmino, works the ball. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did, did come on for Firmino. He did. Uh, works the ball into the box, tries to get it onto his right foot, can't, gets it onto his left foot, and smashes a shot into the bottom corner. Three shots on target, three goals. Poor old Will Norris, not a debut to remember. No saves made. Um, Liverpool deserved to win the game, and they deserved to win it comfortably. Burnley played well in spells, there's no doubt about that, but Liverpool were on a different level. Thiago, when he plays like that, is just, he's a different class. A different class. Jamie Carragher decided that Nat Phillips was man of the match, which, I mean, fine, he scored a goal, but Thiago was the best player on the pitch. It wasn't close. There was nobody else anywhere near his level yesterday. It was the same thing against West Brom. It was the same thing against Manchester United. Liverpool have won seven of nine. It should have been nine of nine. They had enough chances to put the Leeds game to bed. They should have buried Newcastle. Last night had a little feel of the Newcastle game because they missed all those early chances. It had a little feel of that Newcastle game. But they get the job done. They get over the line and they move into fourth place. Liverpool have played 37, won 19, drawn 9, lost 9, scored 66, conceded 42. Goal difference is plus 24, 66 points. They're one point behind Chelsea, who play Villa, obviously. Liverpool will play Crystal Palace on Sunday. Leicester dropped to fifth. First time all season Leicester have been out of the top four. Played 37, won 20, drawn 6, lost 11. 66 goals scored, 46 conceded. Goal difference of plus 20. That means if Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 1-0, Leicester need to win five by five clear goals against top, excuse me, against Tottenham to get themselves into the Champions League. They're not beating Tottenham by five. They're not beating Tottenham by five. Liverpool will be in the Champions League barring a disastrous result against Palace. Go and win the game. You're in the top four. Simple as that. Uh, for Burnley, they are. 17th, but they're 11 points clear of the bottom four. So, you know, it is what it is. They've not had a good season. 
decimated by injuries early on, the failure to invest in the squad by the owners in the summer and then in January has cost them. They'll play Sheffield United away on the final day. They'll be confident of getting a result there. Sheffield United, of course, yesterday equaled the Premier League record for most defeats in a season with 29. Can Burnley inflict number 30 is the question there. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Actually, before we go to break, two bits of news. Ruben Diaz crowned Football Writers Footballer of the Year. Uh, the third year in a row that it's been given to somebody that it shouldn't have been given to. Diaz has had a good season, a very good season. There's no question. But he hasn't transformed Man City. They're going to finish on a maximum of 86 points. They had 81 last year. If in a normal season that doesn't win you the league, uh, their goal, goal, goals against is worse than it was the two years they won the title. Not a whole lot better than last year. Um, he hasn't transformed them. He's made a very good team slightly better, but he hasn't transformed them. He's not a deserving footballer of the year. Ilke Gundogan or Kevin De Bruyne would have been far better picks. Harry Kane can rightly feel like he deserved it. Understandable that he didn't get as many votes he should have because of Spurs as a whole, but that's not his fault. And Bruno Fernandes would be more deserving than Ruben Diaz. Any of the four, Gundogan, De Bruyne, Kane or Fernandes would be more deserving this season than Ruben Diaz. BBC doubled down on the nonsense. No votes from their reporters for Harry Kane. None. A farce. An absolute farce. Phil Foden got votes. But Harry Kane and Bruno Fernandes did not. Phil Foden wasn't one of the five best players at City this year. And he got votes. But this is what happens. These narratives get created and pushed endlessly through people like Henry Winter, through Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, the usual old-school British brigade. And they've pushed this narrative of Ruben Diaz this season as a transformative player trying to create their new Virgil van Dijk. Look at the difference Van Dyke made. Look at the difference Diaz made. There's no comparison. What Van Dyke did was on many different levels to what Diaz has done. Same thing happened last year. Jordan Henderson wasn't one of Liverpool's five best players last season. And he won Football of the Year. Raheem Sterling won it the year before. Now, you could argue he was City's best player. But he wasn't the best player in the league. Virgil van Dyke was the best player in the league by a mile. They generally give this award to somebody whose team wins the league. But they get it wrong quite often. This is the group that once gave it to Scott Parker, who was relegated. Footballer of the year, relegated. I would bet if they were asked for manager of the year, Parker would get quite a few votes. Uh, the Football Writers Association. Clowns. Funny hair, big trousers, makeup, the lot. Clowns. Um, not all of them. Not all of them, but the majority. Um, Stephen Gerrard has been elected to the Premier League Hall of Fame. Uh, obviously, there's no argument against him. Like I said when I talked about Lampard, I think it should, it should have been later that he got in. I think the players that were retired before him 
should have been getting in before him. However, there was no argument. Gerrard was always getting in, and rightly so. I've seen people say, we didn't win the Premier League. So? So what if he didn't win the Premier League? Divock Origi won a Premier League. Should he get in? John O'Shea has multiple Premier League medals. Wes Brown has multiple Premier League medals. Should these people get in? No, they shouldn't. Steven Gerrard is one of the greatest players the Premier League has ever seen and is rightly getting into the Hall of Fame. I saw some clown say that you wouldn't put someone that didn't win Wimbledon into the Wimbledon Hall of Fame. And I thought this guy is just making things up now. That's an individual sport. If the Premier League was an individual sport where players went out and played 1v1, Steven Gerrard would have won Premier League medals without question because he could do a bit of everything. This is a team sport. He was let down by his teams many times. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll jump into the questions. Right. Hello and welcome back. We are going to jump into these questions and uh, get through them. There are 20, 20 of them, I think. Okay, uh, Raj Shonen, thoughts on Xavi's potential as a manager, and do you think it's the right time for Barca to appoint him this summer, or does he need more experience? Now, my immediate thought was he needs more experience. He is obviously... What's he had? He's had two years with Al Saad. He has extended his contract there. He's 41 years of age. I would say he needs more experience. But if Barca are willing to rebuild and give him time, maybe then it is the ideal time to take over. If he could if he could go there and be allowed to have final say on the squad, have a big say in shaping the direction of Barcelona, getting them back to their roots, getting them back to how you know they played when he was there, Maybe it would be the ideal time, but I, I do think given all that needs to be done, given the lack of money that's available because of their debt, given the messy situation, I would say he would be better off going back there when Messi is gone. Messi, for me, holds too much control at Barca, and even though him and Xavi are close friends, I do think that create an uncomfortable dynamic. There's going to come a point, now it's not anytime soon, but there will come a point when Messi needs to be left out or needs to be moved on. And I don't think Xavi's going to be want to be the one to make that decision. So I think the best thing for him to do, stay where he is for the year, then come to Europe, take, take a different job. Take a job in Germany, Italy, you know, Take a Lazio type of job. Take a Fiorentina type of job. And see how you do there. And continue to learn. Continue to develop as a coach. And then Barcelona will always be waiting for Xavi. Xavi will always have that door open to him. As a legend, it won't really matter if he has a couple of failures. Because Ronald Koeman had a whole bunch of failures. And still got the job. I wonder how Ronald Koeman feels, though, having walked away from the Dutch job to take that job, considering he's going to be out of the job this summer. Um, 
Chris Colby may be best for the preview pod tomorrow, but what young player would you like to see make their senior debut for each of the 20 teams on Sunday? I will do that tomorrow on the preview pod with Guy. Um, Mr. Feeling All Right, if you were Klopp and you could choose one of Vlahovic or Concalves for 40 million, which one would you go for and what formation would you use next season? I would go for Pedro Concalves. I think he is more versatile and more ready right now for Liverpool. Vlahovic is very, very talented. And Vlahovic is, is a number nine, but he can only play as a number nine. If you bring him in, you're dictating that you're going to play that way. With Goncalves, you could play 4-2-3-1. You could play 4-4-2. You play a diamond in midfield. He can play right. He can play as a 10. I think he could play as an, an, an advanced 8. He did that not this season with Sporting, but last season before he joined Sporting, he did play as an 8. And he was good. Didn't score the goals, but was was good. I would go for him and I would play 4-4-2. I would play him off the right. I'd move Salah into the middle with either Firmino or Jota. And then Mane on the left as things stand, unless somebody else arrives. Um, J. Reed, 1987. See, I got your handle right that time. Uh, are, you, are Spurs on the brink of falling out of the big six, much like Arsenal have in recent years? Will losing Kane have a positive or negative effect on this? And how will they go forward either with or without Kane? I think it's easier to go forward without Kane because I think Kane enables you to rebuild. And Spurs do, not a major rebuild, but Spurs do need a small rebuild, more of a retooling than a rebuild. Losing Kane is going to be tough. Losing those goals are going to be tough. But there's a possibility that he leaves and other players begin to flourish. Other players that have maybe been asked to perform roles that don't get the best out of them to allow him to do what gets the best out of him. I'm thinking of players like Stephen, Stephen Bergwijn, Lucas Moura, Giovanni Lo Celso, guys that are asked to be workhorses when really they should be more involved in the creative side of things. Bergwijn could be a big-time goal scorer. He's asked to be a, he was asked to be a donkey because of you know Kane up front. I think the best thing for them to do is sell him. As long as they get the right price. I wouldn't sell him for a penny under 120 million. Not one penny. Unless I was getting a quality player back, you want 120 million in cash up front. Simple as that. And then you go and you start spending it. The issue then is whether they spend it properly. And of course, that brings its own problems. We saw how they spent the bail money. But in a roundabout way, that helped them get the, the team that Kane and Deli Ali were part of with Ericsson and Wanyama and the team that challenged for titles and, and did well. So I think it's going to big time to depend on who the manager is and who's in charge of recruitment. It should not be Daniel Levy. They need to get in someone who's a high-end sporting director who can oversee the recruitment side of things and they need to get the right coach in. But I do think in the right circumstances, Spurs can move forward. As for will they fall out of... the they won't fall out of the big six because the big six is, is the big six. Arsenal are still the big six. They could fall out of the top six. Uh, well, they're going to finish seventh this year in all likelihood. But will that happen regularly? I don't know. I don't know how sustainable this West Ham team is. 
Everton are the team that you'd look at and think, well, they're pretty well positioned. They could take a jump. But you just don't know with Everton. They're, they're so... They're so Jekyll and Hyde, you just don't know. Villa are a team to watch because they've got owners with deep pockets who are very, very ambitious. I think they'll be aggressive again in the transfer market. And Villa are probably only three players away from having a really, really good starting eleven: A left-side centre-back, a box-to-box midfielder who can score goals, and a proper number nine. And let Ollie Watkins play off that number nine. And you get Grealish as your creator. You get McGinn and Douglas Louise in midfield. Um, you've got Conzi, you've got Cash, you've got Target, you've got Emmy Martinez. That to me is a is a really strong first eleven. The next question then is from Allison Esk. As great a coach as Jose Mourinho once was, why do you think he's never been at a club for longer than three seasons? And do you think that's a potential dent? on his legacy when compared to the likes of Fergie and Cruyff, who were at their respective clubs for longer. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say why he didn't stay. I think ambition was a big part of it. I do think he would have stayed at Chelsea for quite a while the first time if he hadn't been fired by Roman, which was it still looks a dreadful decision in hindsight, even though they went on to have success. They've never really been as dominant as they were under him. I think, you know, he's a very ambitious man. So he goes to, he wins stuff at Porto, UEFA Cup, Champions League, a plus league titles. I think he wants to go to a top five league. Goes to Chelsea, wins his titles, gets fired, goes to Inter. Wins everything there, doesn't have anything much to do, any, any more to do. Nobody would turn down Real Madrid. Goes to Real Again, they fired him. Well, I think he he chose to leave, but I think it was basically leave or we fire you. Back to Chelsea. United, again, is one of those jobs that I don't think anyone would turn down. Whether it's just that his methods don't have long-term impact, I think at Chelsea the first time and at Inter, he could have stayed long-term. And I think he made mistakes in... I think he made a mistake in leaving Inter at the time, but maybe he saw the writing on the wall. Maybe he saw how strong Juve were about to get. But then he'd he'd won a Champions League. When you've completed something, why do you do it again? In terms of legacy, I mean, I think he's got a better legacy as a manager than Cruyff. Cruyff would have a better legacy in terms of overall impact on a specific club or multiple clubs, mostly at one club as a player, as a manager rather, two as a player. Fergie's tenure is is freakish. Nobody else is going to do that at a major club like United in the modern game. Like it's just obscene to stay twenty seven years and continue to have success. No one will be able to to repeat what Ferguson did. But I don't think, I don't think it's a massive knock on the, the sackings are a knock on Mourinho. But at the same time, like the success is sensational. Two UEFA Cups, one with Porto, one with United. League titles with Porto, league titles with Chelsea, three league titles in two spells, multiple league titles with with Inter, loads of domestic cups, league title with Real Madrid against arguably the best club side ever in that Barcelona team. I think his legacy is secure. The Spurs thing is the first real disaster he's had, where it just has not worked at all. 
Uh, it will be interesting to see how he does with Roma. It's a it's a squad in need of an overhaul, so it's a it's a different type of job for Jose. Like it's the first time I think since he took over at Porto that the squad has really needed quite a bit of work. Like the Chelsea team he took the first time just needed a couple of pieces and he got them and he crafted a brilliant team, but he had all the money behind him as well. Inter had won league titles before him. He was brought to give them the final push in the Euro in the European Cup. A couple of pieces did that. Real, I mean, they they brought in Ronaldo, brought in Kaka, trying to recreate the Galacticos. Hadn't worked, but he went there. A couple of pieces, a couple of tweaks, wins the title. Same thing at Chelsea then. They'd had a team that had won titles before. He goes in, makes his changes, goes on to win things. United probably needed a bit more of a rebuild than what he was willing to do. But at the same time, won a uh, Europe, uh, UEFA Cup, won a League Cup, and then finished second. They were a top four team when he took over. Spurs had had a team that got to a Champions League final, were regular top four, just needed a couple of tweaks. He got those those tweaks wrong. And I think he you know, kind of had fallings out with a couple of important players both in terms of on the field and off the field whereas with Roma they're miles away from being anywhere useful yeah anywhere useful they need quite a bit and they don't have a whole bunch of money to spend so Roma is an interesting job I, I don't think it has his legacy it affects his legacy but at the same time he'll never be held up the same way Ferguson is for what he did at United and Cruyff more for his impact than what he actually did as manager more for the way he reshaped the club and you know, his his legacy still stands today. His impact on the club still stands today. Uh, Mikhail Campbell, what do you make of Ginny Wijnaldum criticism regarding his lack of enthusiasm for Alisson's goal and critics saying his heart isn't with Liverpool anymore? Is he underappreciated by some Liverpool fans? He is massively under underappreciated by, I would say, most Liverpool fans. I'd say there's a good solid base that appreciate what he's done. He has been so important to what Liverpool have done for the last five years. One of the most important players of the Klopp era. Um, the lack of enthusiasm. I, he went and he joined in, but he was over the far side of the box when the goal went in. Like He was making a back post run. I think it was a lot of relief. You know, I don't buy into this idea that he's not committed. He is fully committed to this team. He has been every step of the way. He is the captain right now. He is the one leading that team right now. And he's doing a hell of a job. I mean, look at the results. He may also have been a little bit annoyed that he was left out for that game. That may also have been a factor. Um, Adam Hanlon, who do you think leaves Liverpool this summer? And how much do you think we'll get for them? What business do you think Southampton should do in the summer? And predict the outcomes for Liverpool, Leicester and Chelsea games this weekend. I'll predict those games tomorrow. Let's not let's not take away my Friday show on me. We'll we'll do them tomorrow. Uh, in terms of Southampton, they need a backup right back. I think they should sell Vestergaard. Maybe bring in another young centre back. Go with Salisu next to Bednarak. They need a first choice goalkeeper. They need a they need a first choice left back and a backup left back. They need a body in midfield because they've only got three. You need at least four if you're going to play a double pivot. Uh, and I think they could do with another striker. They they needed one more in between the lines player. That'll be Walcott. 
I think they could do with another striker. A lot will depend on, on whether Danny Ings stays. They've got quite a bit to do, and I don't know how much money they're going to have. Southampton are a team that I, I think could struggle next season. Um, in terms of Liverpool, who do you think leaves? I mean, there's quite a few that could. Whether they will or not, I don't know. Uh, if you go through the squad as currently constituted, the first one that kind of jumps out is Naby Keita. He could well leave. Um for the sake of his career, I think he probably should leave. We know why Naldum's leaving. I think Naby's the next one that could. I don't know if he will. I don't know whether Liverpool will be open to him leaving. I don't know what kind of money they'd want for him. But he's one that could leave. I think there's a chance Mane leaves. I've said that all along. He, To me, he just looks like a player that's maybe one foot out the door. Adrian will leave. I think Oxlade-Chamberlain's in the same position as Naby. I think for the good of his career, he should probably leave. I don't know if the if there's, the club are open to it. I don't know if there's uh, a price that would be set on him that would anyone would be able to pay or willing to pay. Um, I know he only arrived last summer, but it wouldn't surprise me massively if Simicus left and was replaced by a British left back. Um, Shakiri, I think, will go. Divock will go. I think Matip will go. Nat Phillips will go. Ben Woodburn will go. I think Nico Williams needs to go on loan. Then you've got Grujic, Minamino, Karius, Ojo, Wilson, and Awanee, I think, will all be sold. Or they'll try and sell them anyway. I mean, they won't sell all of those players, obviously. That would be ridiculous. That would be, what, 14, 15 players. In all likelihood, I think Grujic goes for 12 million. Minamino goes for somewhere around 15. Karius for 3 to 5. Ojo maybe for 2 million. Wilson, I think, will bring in decent money. I think he'll bring in 12 to 15. And Awani maybe 6 to 8 million. Uh, of the players that are actually in the squad, Shakiri maybe brings 15. Divock maybe 10. Phillips 8 to 10. Woodburn, I think he leaves for little or nothing. Matip is the one of the other four being, oh, sorry, the other five being him, Simicus, Mane, Naby, and Ox, I think is most likely to go. I think you're looking 15 million for him, maybe. So there's, I mean, there's quite a bit of money to be made from selling off the players. And if you look at, at those players, Shakiri's barely contributed this season. Divock hasn't contributed. Matip hasn't contributed. Phillips has, but he won't get a look in next season. Um, Adrian won't be missed. Wijnaldum's the only one that would leave from the squad that would actually be missed. So he's the one you'd have to replace. Uh, Grujic, Minamino, Karius, Ojo, Wilson, and Awani, they haven't played, so they've been on loan. So I don't think any of them would be missed. So I think you sell them, you get whatever you can, and you just move on. Um, there's probably the better part of 100 million in sales to be made. I genuinely think there is. I think there's about 100 million in sales to be made there. I just think Liverpool need to be more realistic with the asking prices. Uh, MTUSA, what is Liverpool's quota situation, and how do you think that will impact signings and departures? So Milner is homegrown. Gomez is homegrown. 
Henderson is homegrown. Oxlade Chamberlain is homegrown. Ben Davies is homegrown. Trent is homegrown. Curtis Jones could be classed as a homegrown player because obviously he is. You can get him into the squad without using up a 25-man slot, but you can put him in because why wouldn't you? And um, you could do the same with, say, a Reese Williams or a Queeving Kelleher uh, or a Harvey Elliott if he's in the squad next season. So quota-wise, Liverpool are fine. Liverpool don't need to worry about the quota. They will be absolutely fine. I think they may, they may look to bring in maybe an English right back or, like I said, a left back to replace Simicus. I, I still think, you know, someone like an Ola Aina at right back, quality player, can play both sides, homegrown. He would make a lot of sense. He's available for about eight million. L- loan out Nico Williams. It's questionable whether he's a Premier League player at any point or not. There's been interest in him. If you could get a good fee for him, and apparently Southampton are interested. So if you could get a good fee from loan him, sell him and bring in Olaena or or Jed Spence from Middlesbrough, I think you're fine there, and and obviously helps your quota. But Liverpool are fine quota wise. Wouldn't think it'll have too much of an impact. Um, Ahmed Zohab, who do you think had the better prime, Ozil or De Bruyne? Uh, De Bruyne had the better prime, but Ozil had probably had the better. I suppose 20 to 25. So when Ozil was 20, he went to Werder Bremen from Schalke, having come through the Schalke Academy. His second and third years there were brilliant, especially that third year, that final year at at Werder, where he was unbelievable. And they played stunningly good football. Him and Diego Ribas were just brilliant together. He was phenomenal at Real Madrid for three years. Absolutely tremendous at Real for three years. At that point, he was 25 years of age. And he joined Arsenal. And unfortunately, it never really worked at Arsenal. He had some good seasons. 16, 17, he was very good. The first season, he was pretty good as well. Had some injuries. But he had a lot of injuries at Arsenal. Like He only played over 30 games twice. Whereas... You look at KDB, and he was a bit more of a slow starter. Obviously, came through with a bit of hype, but went to Chelsea. It didn't really work out. Also went on loan to Werder Bremen, but he was 23, I think, by that 22 by that point. Uh, goes to Wolfsburg at 23, and does really well. Um, has has two seasons there. The first one was like a half season. Was okay that the full, the only full season he spent there, 14 15, he was brilliant. And he's obviously been the better player since. So I would say Ozil was better 20 to 25, maybe. And De Bruyne has been better 25 to 30. Without, without doubt, De Bruyne has been better 25 to 30. But I would take Ozil 20 to 25 over. KDB of the same age. Overall, I think KDB's had a better career. I think he's had more consistency. But Ozil's won a World Cup and was a key player in that World Cup. So that does factor. Um, Alex Wilson, do you think Oxlade Chamberlain could be deployed in the Firmino role as it looked like he lined up there against Burnley? If not, 
if you had to get a like-for-like like replacement for Firmino, who would it be as opposed to changing to traditional number nine? I think the best like-for-like... Like, I think Youngman's son could play that role and be sensational in it. Absolutely sensational. But I was talking to Sam Maguire yesterday, and Matthias Cunha of Hertha Berlin has very, very Bobby-esque numbers. His profile is very, very Bobby-esque. Does play more off the left than through the middle right now. But, of course, Bobby played as a 10 before he joined Liverpool. So, Matthias Cunha could be an option. Um, but, Youngman Son will be the one. He's just... He would be the one for me. I wouldn't even be in doubt. Um, I think Ox could play that role in certain games, for sure. I think you ideally would want Ox in that role more, I think, when you're counter-attacking than in a game where you're going to dominate possession, because I don't know how well Ox would play with back to goal. Ox is a good player, but that's just not something we've seen him do yet. Maybe he could do it. I don't know. Um, who do you think could be a good backup for... This is from B. Caroleno. Butchered your name, buddy. Sorry about that. Caroleno? I think so. Um who do you think could be a good backup for Fabinho or maybe someone who could push him as well? And what's your opinion on Dwight McNeil and would you take him as a squad player in Liverpool? I would absolutely take Dwight McNeil. Absolutely. He can play either side. I think he can play left back for Liverpool as well. And I think he can play in a midfield three. So I would absolutely take Dwight McNeil. He's been very well schooled at Burnley. Um, quality, quality player. As for who would you take as a backup for Fabinho, it just depends on what you want. Do you want someone that you can develop long term? Or do you want someone that's reliable now, can fit in, allow you to play Fab at centre-back or rest him? I think Yakuzlu of, of West Brom would be well worth a look. I really do. I think he's really good. Uh, I think he's been excellent for West Brom in a bad team. He, is, he has held what is a dreadful defence together playing in front of them. So I would actually go for him. I think he'd be quite cheap as well. I don't think Salta Vigo would want a big fee for him. Uh, Maddie Holdsworth asks, where did it go wrong for David De Gea? I just don't think his heart is in it now. I think he was desperate to go to Real Madrid. And I think when Courtois went there, he realized it wasn't going to happen. And I think his decline became more more noticeable then. He, he hadn't... De Gea had about four seasons where he was just ungodly good like different world different planet kind of good and he turned what was a mediocre mid-table team into a top four team by himself single-handedly and should have won a player of the year award he was just that good he was absolutely ridiculous he was superman that was always going to come to an end so when he did decline it, it looked stark even though he was still a very good goalkeeper he just wasn't the incredible goalkeeper but I do think when he realised he wasn't going to get his move to Real, I think that's where it ended for him. I, I just don't think he wants to be United anymore. They only managed to keep him by giving him a ridiculous contract, like three hundred and fifty grand a week. And they've done that with other players, and it's had the same effect. Look at Rooney's last few years. They'd been trying to keep him for years after they should have sold him when they had chances. They ended up giving him a stupid contract. Look what you have. I think Pogba will be the same if they give him a big contract. Look at Alexis. Got all that money. Stop caring about the game. I think I think the combination of not getting his dream move and the big comfortable contract, I think, has just kind of ended. 
the De Gea as an elite goalkeeper, uh, you know, era. Uh, Willology, if you could pick a hand, pick a club for Nat Phillips to join this summer to get the best out of him. Who would you pick? Cardiff. Cardiff under Mick McCarthy. And Cardiff are always willing to spend a bit of money. Cardiff always have a bit of cash. I would say Cardiff. Mick McCarthy was Nat Phillips. He was a, a better version, but Mick McCarthy, Mick McCarthy was a Nat Phillips type centre back. I think he'd see a lot of himself in Phillips. I think they'd pay eight million, maybe rising to ten or twelve with you know kickers for promotion and things like that. Cardiff would be the answer. Um, <clears throat> Lewis Phillips asks: Take one player from each relegated team from the top leagues who would be a decent signing for Liverpool as a squad filler. Okay. Um, in the Premier League, Sanderberg is the only one I'd want. Uh, do you know what? I'd take Jaden Bogle from, from Sheffield United over Sanderberg because we need a backup right back. He's an attack-minded right back. He's young. He's English. He's homegrown. He wouldn't be too expensive. I think Sanderberg is the one that makes the most sense there. For West Brom, the Yakuzlu would be one, but he doesn't play for them, so he, they don't own him. Matthias Pereira would be, I think, the obvious one. Shakiri out, him in, I think he'd be a, a really good fit. I think he could play for anybody in the league. Uh, not necessarily as a starter for everybody, but I think he's good enough to come into a team and not cause them to have a big drop-off. Very, very talented player. Um, and one, one I do like. Um... For Fulham, I've mentioned Ola Aina. I would take him, but obviously they don't own him. Zambo is the one they own that I would take. I think he's the, I think he's the best player there. I think he's had a really good season, surrounded by quite a bit of dross. Um, right, Dijon in France. Hmm. Papa Cech Diop is a good player, but they don't own him. He's a Spanish midfielder owned by Leon. Uh, Didier and Dong, he's the guy that was at Sunderland, turned up for preseason overweight after they got relegated and they cancelled his contract. Um, Arthur Zagra is a good left back, but they don't own him either. I do quite like Yassine Benzia. The Algerian midfielder. He's a decent player. I'd probably go for him. Uh, from Nimes. Oh dear. That's not a good squad at all. Oh, this is atrocious. Um, I mean, Zinedine Farhat, just because his name's Zinedine. Um, he's a decent player. He's good at La Harve. City Sar maybe. City Sar could be interesting. Big grok of a thing. You stick him in the middle of the park. He'll kick everybody. He's good box to box. Lacks a, a, a touch of quality. Um, Nolan Rue. I mean, I remember he was linked to Liverpool once. There's there's actually nobody. Yeah, there's nobody at Nimes I don't think that I would take. No, I don't think there's anybody there that I would take, to be honest. 
Um, for Nantes, who are in the relegation playoff at the moment, um, I do like Alban Lafont, but they don't own him. He's on loan there from Fiorentina. They have an option to buy. And if they're smart, they'll take it up and try and flip him. He hasn't had a particularly good season. But he is a super talented goalkeeper. Um, but there's Pedro Chiravilla is there. I, I, I still like him. I'd take him. Yeah, he, he'd be, there's, no, there's nobody really. There's nobody they own. that. He, John Kevin Augustine is a talented player. He's the one that caused the big kerfuffle between Leeds and Leipzig that's still ongoing. Um, it's a remarkable thing where Leeds took him on loan from Leipzig with an option to buy him for 17.7 million, and not, which turned into an obligation if they got promoted. Now, it was a loan until June 1st. Because of COVID, the season obviously didn't end until after June 1st. And then Leeds weren't promoted until the 30th of June. So Leeds claimed that because it wasn't done by June 1st, they didn't have to to buy him. Leipzig said, well, yes, you do, because the loan is clear. If you get promoted, he's your player. And somehow, he ended up becoming a free agent. This is an £18 million football player. It's going through the courts now. And I would imagine Leeds are going to have to pay that money. I can't see any circumstance in which Leeds are going to have to pay that money. And rather than just keep him and say to Leipzig, look, okay, look, we'll keep him, but we'll give you 10 million rather than 17.7. They were just like, no, we don't want him. Send him back. And so he signed for nonce as a free. Absolutely mental, mental situation. Um, yeah, I take him. He, he's, an, he's, he's an interesting attacking player. I take him because they don't own LaFont. Uh, Syria, uh, I, I genuinely haven't been keeping enough track on who is where. Um, Parma have gone down, Crotone have gone down, and Benevento have gone down. Parma, I'm not seeing anybody jump out at me. There's quite a few players in on loan. William Cyprian, I do like. See, one of the problems with these Italian clubs is they loan in so many players, it's very hard to get any kind of continuity in the squad. Um, no, there's just nobody there. Jan Caramo is an interesting one. French forward. Was at, Inter, was at Inter for a few years. He's a good support player. Not so much a goalkeeper, but he is a decent support player. I'd probably just say him because I'm not seeing anybody else that I would really jump at. Um, Crotone. Simi is interesting. Now, he's older. He's 29, but he had an incredible season. 20 goals in a relegated team. Um, has been with them for about five years. Did really well in Serie B. Scored 21 to help them come up. Simi, uh, I would go for him. Benevento. I think Camille Glick's a decent centre-back, but wouldn't be hugely keen. No, there's no one there really, is there? No. No, there's nobody at at Benevento that I 
that I would want. I think there's it's a fairly weak squad. They did well not to finish bottom, to be fair. Um, so I, I wouldn't touch any of those. On to Spain. Let's see. Who have we got? We've got Ibar, Valladolid, and Elche. Now, at the moment, none of them are actually relegated. The uh, That's all going to the final day of the season. Um, from Imar, Dimitrovic is a solid goalkeeper. He's also a free agent this year, so I'd consider him. I think he'd be the he's probably the only one there. Brian Gill's super talented, but he's owned by Sevilla. Uh, from Valladolid, Rocky Messi's an interesting player, but he's already been in England and failed. Um, No. No, there's nobody at Valladolid I don't think that we'd want. Nobody that I would want anyway. And as for Elche, I mean, Gassaniga's there on loan from Spurs. Pablo Piatti, just because I used to love watching him play. He's about five foot four. And he's such a fun little winger. He's only, he's 32 now, but as a squad player... Why not? Like, um, and then on to the Bundesliga. So Schalke. I mean, the best player they own is Quebec, I suppose. So we we'll, we'll, we'll we've got him. We'll keep him. Um, anyone else there that will be of interest? I mean, Harat. I do like Amin Harat. I think he's really really talented, and could be a very good player. Um, the American striker Matthew Hopp is interesting, but Amin Harat would be the one. Yeah, I mean, Harat would be the one. As for uh, Cologne, Timo Horn as a backup goalkeeper. I think I'd go Timo Horn as a backup goalkeeper. I think that's the best, the best option there. There's nobody else that really stands out in that squad. Yeah, Timo Horn. And Werder Bremen, Milo Rashica is the, is the is the best player at the club by a, a considerable margin. So Milo Rashica would be the one. And he'd be an interesting fit for Liverpool as a as a depth player. Could be a Shakiri replacement. Um, so we'll go with him. Um, Callum Perry, what do you think of Spurs fans chanting Levy out or Levy out at the game? I'm not sure how much better he could have done for them, their top, top, top six club, because of him. I totally agree. I, I don't think they could do better than Daniel Levy. I think he's brilliant at running the football club. I think what he needs to do is appoint someone to run the football side of it and make the football decisions, a sporting director, get that right, get the manager right. And there's there's, there's real potential with Spurs. I have went through the squad the other day. It, it, it's a strong squad. It just needs four or five pieces, which they can get if they sell Kane. I think I think Spurs fans are lashing out. I think that their anger is misplaced. Um, the mistake he made was hiring Mourinho. He didn't make a mistake in getting rid of Poch. He made a mistake hiring Mourinho. But look, it's Mourinho. They, it's hard to say to not go for Mourinho when you can get Mourinho. He'd done well at United, regardless of how it ended. He'd done well. 
He'd done well and won a title at Chelsea. Forget how it ended. He won a title. He wins things. He got them to a final. They just sacked him before it. And I'm not convinced that Spurs couldn't have won that final if he was in charge. Uh, Burpleman, will Ruben Diaz be found out next season? I think we'll see teams target him a bit more. I think in a full season, I think we'll see a a lot more of what he's actually made of um, rather than this year. Uh, Emmett, a.k.a. Emmett, who would be your top five centre-backs, left-backs and right-backs in Europe? Right, centre-backs. Van Dijk, Marquinhos, Varane, Schrinier. I'll go Jules Kunde. I just think he's sensationally good. I'll go Jules Kunde. Koulibaly's worth a shout, but I don't think he's quite as good as he was. I'd go. I'd go Jules Kunde. Uh, left back. Andy Robertson is one. I think these aren't in order. The centre backs would be closer to order. Um, Andy Robertson, Teo Hernandez, Robin Gosens of Atalanta. I think Joe Canseo is more of a left back than he is a right back, so I'll go for him. And as for a fifth one, I know he plays centre back now, but David Alaba is still he's he's a left back. You just leave him at left back, put him back to left back. That's where he belongs. Um, Lucas Hernandez would be another contender for a centre back. Once he gets more games next season, he's really really good. Uh, as for right back, then Trent obviously, Hakimi is an obvious one, I think. I like Benji Pavard. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but I think he's a very good defender. Um, Ricardo Pereira, to me, is is a top five left back in, in world football. And I think if Portugal don't play him right back and Canseo left back, I think it's madness. Absolute madness. Um, as for a fifth one, hmm, I'll go for Hatabor. He's consistent, he's good, good going forward, good defensively. I'll go Hatabor. Um Cameron Vela, build a team around four players of your choice. One goalkeeper, one defender, one midfielder, and one attacker. The goal is to win the Champions League and League title next season, so no pressure. Uh what four players would you choose from for which teams? One team from each top five leagues. Oh, so I take over a team in each of the top five leagues and I can put in the four players of my choice. Well, what I'm doing then is I'm stealing Liverpool's spine. I'm stealing Allison, Virgil, Fabinho and Mo, And I'm putting them into teams. So I'm... I'm putting them into Sevilla in Spain, so I get Alisson in goal with Kunde and Van Dijk. I get a front three of Mo, N Naziri, and Ocampos, and I put Fabinho into that midfield. I think that wins La Liga. I don't know if it'd win. I don't know if it'd win to Champions League, but I think it'd have a it'd have a hell of a go. That defensive diamond, Fabinho, Kunde, Virgil, and um, Anali, nobody's beaten that. Um, the obvious choice in Germany would be would be 
Dortmund, um, same group of players. I get Fabinho in midfield with Bellingham. I'm going to stick Emery Chan next to Virgil at the at centre back. Still have a hole at right back, but Guerrero's a good left back. I get Sancho, Haaland, and Salah as my front three. And I'd play Gio Reyna on a wing. I'd go 4-4-2, Haaland and Salah up front. And that wins everything. A hole at right back, but it wins everything. Uh, PSG. No, sorry, France. I go Lille. They've already got a good goalkeeper, but Alisson is better. You put Salah into the attack with Memphis Depay, who will want to stay when he sees Salah. Uh, the midfield is perfect as is there. They've got Paqueta, they've got Kakarat, they've got Auer, they've got Gomerish. So I'm going to play Fabinho next to Virgil at centre-back, and that solves that problem. They've got a good right-back in Leo Debose. They have some options at left-back and Ali in goal. That does that there. Serie A, um, I suppose... I suppose Milan, they, they already have Donnarumma, but he'll probably leave anyway. But Ali, Virgil and Tamore, I can move Ramagnoli to, no, I play a back three. Oh, I love a back three. Tamore, Virgil, Ramagnoli, uh, Teo Hernandez on as a left wing back. I need a right wing back, but they already own Conti, who I do like. He's on loan at Parma this year. I get Fab in midfield with Frank Kessie. Zlatan and Mo up front, I'd be happy enough. Put a third, put Benesser into midfield, go, you know, 3-5-2, that's fine. And um, in the Premier League, it is it is the Liverpool spine, so I'll just keep it there. And uh, I think that's fine. Um, 87, I hope that answers the question. I hope that's what you meant. If not, let me know. 87, who are the best Bosmans available this summer? Um... Donnarumma, Messi, obviously, but forget him. Donnarumma, I think he'll go to Juve. Alaba, it looks like Real for him. Memphis, it looks like Barca for him. Ginny, I think Ginny's a, is high up on this list. Chalanaglu, he's a player that frustrates me. He could be a lot better than he is. He's, he's a little bit ineffective in some games. Emerson Royal, now he's not a free agent. He's down here as a free agent, but he's not a free agent this summer. Um, Elsad Heizaj from Napoli, really good right back. I think he'd be a good signing for Liverpool uh, if they need a right back, as is Rui Silvia, the goalkeeper from Granada. He'd be a, a clever a clever signing. Um, Dimitrovic, I mentioned him earlier on. If you're looking for a good backup goalkeeper, he'd be the one. I think Patrick Van Aanholt is a good free agent this summer. I think there's clubs that could definitely do with him. John Lundstrom will make somebody happy this summer. He'll be a good addition in midfield for for certain clubs. I think the best ones outside of Messi, obviously, are Donnarumma, Alaba, Memphis and Ginny. I think those four, any club will be lucky to have them. Um, Isaac Gilding, a uh, while ago on Old School, I asked you in gags who would win out of Klopp, Rodgers, Rafa's and Julier's best team. The answer was Klopp's 18-19 team. What would the others have needed to reach Klopp's best level? Signings or a tactical change? 
Rafa's team would be the next best, the 0809 team. It would need a better left side. You had Coit at right wing and Arbeloa at right back. Not spectacular, but solid. 7 out of 10 pretty much every week. I think if you could have got a better left winger in than the options that were there at the time, Riera, Babel, Yossi, someone consistently good in that role and a consistent left back who wasn't always breaking down, like Fabio Aurelio. I think if you get those two in, it's not going to be as good because Pepe Reina isn't as good as Ali. The centre-backs were because Agar was hurt. If Agar could have stayed fit, the centre-backs would have had a better case, but Carragher and, and Skirtle, Carragher was good, obviously, Skirtle was was less, so great midfield. The, the midfield in that team beats the midfield in the current team. Um, but I think, I think a quality left-winger, a quality left-back would have pushed it, because Rafa was a great coach, and I think it would have pushed it. I don't think it would have passed it, but it would have pushed it. Um, the Julier team a, a really good a, a, this is the, the treble winning team so you'd want a better goalkeeper than Vesterveld a more natural attacking left back than Carragher and they tried to do that when they brought in Christian Ziga but unfortunately it just didn't work for him at the club um maybe an out-and-out quality left winger. You had Gerard playing right wing. A younger Gary Mack would have been great. A younger Gary Mack next to Didi Hammond would have been great. A quality left winger. Because then you had the three up front. You had Fowler, Owen, and Heskey that you could choose from. You could rotate them. Quality left back, quality left winger, quality goalkeeper. Uh, the Rogers team needed a better goalkeeper and an entire new back four and a holding midfielder. So it needed too much. It had the genius of Suarez and the attacking brilliance of Coutinho, Sterling and Sturridge. You also had pre-injuries, Henderson, just that endless energy, that box-to-box desire and the ability to grab goals, which he had at the time, which he's lost because he's not not as mobile anymore. Um uh, he also asks, on a scale to very to extremely how disappointed I knew home. I don't like it at all. I think it's awful. I genuinely think it's awful. Uh, I like the look of what I've seen to be the away. I think it's the away kit, the yellow one. I really like that. I think the home kit looks dreadful. Even on Virgil, I think it looks awful. Can you give us your 11 of could have been Liverpool players, purely trances that fell through, or players we were in close negotiations with? And is Simo Sambrosa captain? Yes, he is. He is the captain. He is on the right wing with Arda Turan on the left wing. Um, we'll go David Villa up front. He was linked for 15 years. Uh, David Silva was linked, although I would go with Pablo Imar behind uh, Villa. So I'm going to put David Silva in centre midfield. Imar as my 10. Villa as my 9. And then the two wingers. That's fine. Danny Alves at right back. Wayne Bridge was linked with us for a couple of seasons. And I really would have liked him. Because he would have been a really solid left back. Which is something we lacked. So I think I'd put him at left back. Um, We wanted Vidic. And apparently we're in for Vidic. 
So you'd have to put him in at centre back. We're endlessly linked with Koulibaly, even though we've never, I don't, to my knowledge, never tried to sign him. But I'm going to stick him in anyway because he's really good. And as far as goalkeepers go, I know we did sign him, but he never worked out because he had injuries and we signed two great or two goalkeepers the same day. Chris Kirkland, I think he could have been a great goalkeeper, but injuries just ruined him. So I'll go with him. Uh, Mandar Fatar Pecker, Pekir, sorry, bud. Uh, where will Harry Kane end up next season? I think he goes to United. I, I honestly think he ends up at Un- United or PSG, but but United seems likely. Um, how do you rate Bubakari Samare? This is from Connor Lane. How do you rate Bubakari Samare? Is his price tag and lack of other interest worrying? No, I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's anything to concern with. I think Leicester just got in quickly, and it, that that deal has kind of become public quite quickly. Um, the the low price tag is interesting. I'm not sure what his is. He had a contract in 12 months. That may be a factor in it. If he's out a contract in, yeah, he's had a contract in 12 months. I think that explains the the lower fee. He's a great signing for Leicester. Absolutely fantastic signing for Leicester. Him and Ndidi are going to be an absolute handful in the Premier League next season. Um. Compare him to other players in the Premier League. Like a really good version of Musa Sissoko. Like if 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 you could get the player that Musa Sissoko thinks he is, I think it'd be Bubakari Samari. Um, Mona underscore legalized. Take a look at our transfer dealings over the past few seasons. Do you think it's vital that our transfer targets have an experience playing in the domestic league and in Europe? I think it's important that they have top five league experience. It's rare enough that you see Liverpool sign someone from outside the top five leagues. Minamino, that was a sort of an opportunistic signing. I think Ben Davies was the same. Um, but yeah, I think I think it is important that they have experience at the high level. And also, the Europe point is good because Klopp wants them to be able to show they can play 40, 50 games a season. He wants that ability to to handle the workload. Um, Sports Lens asks, if Bruce were to leave Newcastle, who would be three good replacements? Steve Cooper of Swansea. Fonseca, who's leaving Roma. And Chris Wilder, I suppose. I mean, Chris Wilder is very good, so... He would make sense. They've got centre-backs there that fit a back three. Emil Kraft would be a perfect Chris Wilder right-side centre-back. Absolutely perfect. Um, I, I think Chris Wilder would be a great fit at Newcastle, if I'm honest. Um, if Southgate were to leave England, who would be a good replacement? Graham Potter. Graham Potter. I, I don't think there's anybody else. What player could City buy for defensive midfield that has the following requirements? Tall, press-resistant, mobile, and good on the ball. I mean, they have Rodri, who I think is maybe not the most mobile, but he's certainly press-resistant, he's tall, and he's good on the ball. Um, He's not city level, but Baptiste Santa Maria of Freiburg would be a really good fit for the, the what you've described. If they want a Fernandinho type, 
replacement. I don't know if they'd... Ibrahim Sengeri of... Um... Ibrahim Sengeri of PSV. That he, he fits. He's 6'3". He's mobile. He's good on the ball. And he's press resistant. He He's the answer. I think he would do really well there. I think I've gotten through all of these. There's 28 of them apparently. And I think we are through all of them. So I know this has been an exceptionally long podcast. Uh, I hope you don't mind. But um, I wanted to make sure. Oh, there's one more. There's one more. Uh, Elias Atta28. Is Nat Phillips a better defender than Harry Maguire? No. Nat Phillips is is basically the space-jammed Harry Maguire. If somebody took away Harry Maguire's footballing ability, he would be Nat Phillips. Big, awkward, good in the air, rough and tumble. That's what he would be. Uh, that's it, then. That is all the questions. Sorry. I, I think I got to everybody's. If I didn't, I apologize. Uh, the preview one I will do tomorrow. So one youngster for all 20 clubs. I will do that tomorrow. Um, aside from that thanks a million for listening thank you to Guy as always and thank you to Fox Hunt for the title music Uh, see you tomorrow bye bye Podcast Network.